Hello, I'm Dr. Louise Newson. I'm a GP and menopause specialist, and I'm also the founder of the Newson Health Menopause and Wellbeing Centre here in Stratford-upon-Avon. I'm also the founder of the Free Balance app. Each week on my podcast, join me and my special guests where we discuss all things perimenopause and menopause. We talk about the latest research, bust myths on menopause symptoms and treatments, and often share moving and always inspirational personal stories. This podcast is brought to you by the Newson Health Group, which has clinics across the UK dedicated to providing individualised perimenopause and menopause care for all women. So today on the podcast, I've got someone with me called Maria McAldrick, and she is an optometrist and works at Specsavers. And we're going to talk about eyes, actually. And for those of you that don't think the menopause is anything to do with eyes, you'll be mistaken, actually, because we know that our hormones, estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, actually go all over our body. They go into our bloodstream and they go to every single cell. And obviously, we've got lots of cells in our eyes. So dry eyes is actually a very common symptom of the menopause. So we want to um, talk about it today and hopefully educate you. So welcome, Maria. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. What a privilege. Oh, so tell me a bit about you, an optometrist. What does that mean for those people that aren't quite sure? Yes, so I'm an optometrist and I have been qualified for over 13 years now. I'm really an optometrist. I think often we think about the optometrist as somebody we go to see about glasses, but it is an awful lot more than that. You know, we really look after your ocular health. We look in the back of the eye. We take into consideration all of your general health, your well-being, all of those factors. Um, and really, it's a holistic approach to your eye health and not just the end product often as specs, but that isn't really all that we do nowadays. And a lot of technology to do a lot more than maybe what we would have done even 10 years ago mm. um, compared to what we do now. Yeah, I mean, the technology is amazing. I had my eyes tested recently and at the place I went to, they've got one of those, I'm sure you've got one, the retinal scans. So you see this amazing picture of your retina. Now, when I was a medical student, it was in the 80s, it was a long time ago, and we were doing ophthalmoscopy. So you use that, some of you might have seen this little, little machine that you put in front of your eye. You have to get incredibly close to the person, which is a bit intrusive, actually. And then it's really hard to focus on the retina properly. You might see some of it, but you might not see all. The pupils have to be quite big, so you're in a dark room getting very close to someone that you don't know. And then you get have to get them to move because you want to see the macula with sort of the blind spot as well. And it's so hard. And I remember when I first started training, just to be able to see a vein was amazing, you know. And then you suddenly, on this screen, you can see everything, can't you, so clearly. It's unbelievable. I think as you're speaking about that, it's kind of giving me horrors of, of university when you were trying to get far too close mm. to your fellow colleagues and students. And over the years, um, kind of learning that you really shouldn't eat tuna at lunchtime, that's an unforgivable thing for, for your patients. But we don't tend to use that so much in practice anymore. We use what's called a Vogue lens and a slit lamp. So you tend to be a little bit further away but you can actually see much and um, more of the, the back of the eye and it's a 3d image rather than what you would be seeing as a 2d image and it's highly mm. magnified so it's like trying to find anything is really quite difficult it still has its place i suppose with kids and um, those that mm. maybe have mobility issues where it is 
harder to see into the back of the eye. But yeah, as you say, technology sleeps and binds. And what you're talking about is an OCT. And actually what we're able to see is all the layers of the retina rather than what mm. is that top bit. So we're able to see changes that, you know, we wouldn't ever have been able to see previously. So, you know, really early detection of disease and um, being able to kind of manage accordingly, which is it's fantastic to be able to see. Yeah. And the eye is a real window, actually, into our bodies. And I used to work in a diabetes clinic for quite a few months when I was training when I was a junior doctor. And we always used to do ophthalmo- the eye test on everybody mm. that came in. And some pa- new patients were like, uh, doctor, I've got diabetes, why are you looking in my eyes? Mm. And actually, when I did a kidney clinic as well, we'd, again, you'd look into the eyes because you can see, can't you, what the blood vessels look like and you can get some very early changes. So for those of you don't know, obviously the blood vessels are very, very small. (laughs) Of course they are at the back of the eye. But if you get small changes in small blood vessels, it can be a marker of changes that might come in the future in bigger blood vessels, such as the blood vessels feeding our hearts. And obviously people who have type 2 diabetes and type 1 diabetes have an increased risk of heart disease. And also with people with kidney disease, they have an increased risk of heart disease and also cardiovascular disease. So diseases of the blood vessels elsewhere. But sometimes those changes in the eyes can predate changes elsewhere can't they absolutely and often actually it's the optometrist that'll find these things first because they'll refer you on so these early changes subtle changes at the back of the eye that you're speaking about little burst blood vessels so little kind of hemorrhages that appear and also actually the vessels can look a bit torturous a bit wiggly and that can sometimes Mm. be a sign of hypertension so there's lots of different things that we pick up and actually we would refer you and often that's how you get diagnosed with and number of these conditions so it really is that place for regular eye exams because it's these things that it's not just only about your vision itself obviously those things could have implications for your sight moving forward but those early changes general health changes we're able to pick up so yeah absolutely that is commonplace um, in community practice yeah and really interesting because we do know obviously the risk of cardiovascular disease increases in the menopause so our hormones are very protective they're very anti-inflammatory in the lining of our blood vessels but also there are other eye conditions that can occur in the menopause and there's not much research done because of course no one does proper research menopausal women but even conditions such as glaucoma are probably sometimes related to hormones we know that some eye conditions can worsen when people become older but it's not just with age it's this inflammation that occurs as well and like we said at the beginning dry eyes is actually very common and just before my book came out we did a survey of nearly 6,000 women ahead of the definitive guide to the perimenopause and menopause and 74% so nearly three quarters of those people that responded said they had experienced some surprising or unexpected symptoms and one in four or just over actually 26% said they had experienced dry eyes making it the second most common surprising symptom. I mean, you're nodding, so yeah. I presume you're not surprised with that. So that's yeah. a quarter of women. Obviously, it's only a sample of 6,000, but that's a lot of women with dry eyes, isn't it? It's so significant. And I think whenever I was reading the, the notes from previous, it was the hidden symptom. And I thought the yes. word, you know, whenever I kind of read the word hidden, I thought, my goodness, you know, something that affects so many women and from your survey, so many, so significant for it to be a hidden symptom. And actually, mm. from professional perspective, knowing that it's something that actually with the right management plan 
doesn't need to affect you potentially in the way that it is at the moment. So mm-hmm. really quite stark. And I think, as you said, the research, you know, as you look at the research, it's not definitive of the links, but obviously the association with obviously changes in your hormones um, affecting then how um, your tear film is made up, which is the part that's affected with dry eye itself. Yeah, so, I mean, dry eyes means different things to different people, doesn't it? And so some people, literally their eyes feel very dry or they might feel itchy, but some people have watery eyes, even though they have dry eyes, don't they? How can you, can you describe why that happens? So I think what's quite useful is probably thinking about what's actually going on. So if you imagine Mm. really the tear film is like this nice little barrier between your eye and the rest of the the atmosphere as such so really its purpose is to maintain the health of your eye just keep it from infection etc but changes can happen and as we kind of alluded to changes in your hormone balance and as things decrease like estrogen there are links that show that then actually the production of certain components of your tear film are then affected but really what either what's happening is the tear quality is not good or we're not producing enough so you mentioned there about whenever you've actually got watery eyes and it it's such a hard one when patients come in and they're like my eyes are watering all the time they're streaming all the time and you're turning around you're saying well you've got dry eye that's a real hard one well I've got plenty of tears obviously and it's Mm. trying to then explain well actually what's happening there is they're not of great quality they're breaking up and they're falling out of your eye rather than remaining in the eye and creating that lubrication so that's usually how I would explain that one as you mentioned also you know the grittiness, etc., starts to happen. But actually that can progress to the point where you start to feel like actually you've got something in your eye. You know, it's mm-hmm. that foreign body sensation starts to happen. And that can change and vary throughout the day or depending on what you do. So say, for instance, you spend a lot of time with screens. You'll probably notice as I'm going to speak about this that probably by the end of your day, you find yourself blinking more and more and it's more uncomfortable. And that maybe what started as gritty feeling starts to feel quite like foreign body sensation by the end of the day. You can actually get kind of a burning sensation. Often people will kind of experience that it's it's a bit burning and a bit stingy. And also actually your vision can become really quite affected. So that blinking mechanism, because we kind of want to make it clearer. And I usually explain that. I love an analogy, but it just makes it easier for people to understand. But if you imagine a nice kind of clear lake, and you can see the, the fish kind of swimming along. But actually, if a bird comes down and creates a ripple, you can't see that little fish anymore. And that's essentially what's happening, this rippled effect. So it's not lovely and smooth. It's all ripply and a bit disrupted. And we need to do something about that. So a whole host of things can happen. And everybody's a wee bit unique. You know, the, the grittiness that, you know, people associate that with dry eye. But you wouldn't maybe necessarily associate maybe glare issues light sensitivity these sorts of things can also happen and actually if you think the culmination of all these things it really affects your quality of life Mm. so there are studies that show and that actually there's a link between dry eye and kind of experiencing anxiety and depression and I've experienced that in clinic with many patients because unfortunately we tend to leave these things until they're really quite acute Mm. and they've really been going on for some time that it starts to really affect your life yeah, absolutely. Because you can't rest. Well, you can rest your eyes when you're sleeping, but you know it's not like if you've got a sore finger, you can just use your other hand. Our eyes are so integral with everything that we do, and and like you say, using screens. Obviously, most of us use screens a lot more than we used to, but it is one of those things. And actually, you know, I look back to my ophthalmology training. No one taught me about the menopause as a undergraduate, but even as a GP, I used to be giving lots of eye drops to 
mainly women actually yeah. <laughs> and I'd go from one manufacturer to another to another really try and some people it would make a difference to but other people there were still and I never once thought about the menopause at all and we know that you know lubrication is really important through all our mucous membranes all our tissues we know that symptoms related to vaginal dryness actually affect about 70 80 percent of women and so a lot of people have dry mouth as well and dry skin so dry eyes actually could be the same and a lot of women I see do improve when they have the right dose and type of HRT and increasingly I realize in my clinical practice it's estrogen and testosterone actually because they both affect teardrop um production and I think probably testosterone might have a bigger effect but we don't know but there are local treatments as well aren't there so talk me through what you do as a optometrist for women with dry eyes yeah so when a patient comes in so we've kind of talked about in kind of the lubrication you've kind of detailed drops and, and that evidently would be part of a management plan but when you come in we want to do a thorough eye exam of what's actually happening so there's actually two main different types of dry eye so we'd like to kind of determine what that is so evaporative can be caused actually by so you've got lovely little glands that run along where your eyelashes are you maybe have never noticed them but they're like little pits and actually that produces a part of your tears that prevents them from evaporating so it's the top layer essentially of your tear film so when we don't have that production, it means that they're going to evaporate more, more readily. So actually, we need to deal with the bombing gland dysfunction, which is causing the dry eye. So it's a, an underlying issue that's causing what you're, you're experiencing. So we would want to assess that and obviously looking at the ocular surface itself. So if anybody wears contact lenses, they'll have had the lovely fluorescein, that lovely orange dye you get stuck in your eye that if you get in a white shirt you're never going to get it out again and that gives us a real good kind of assessment of what's happening but once we've done all of that checked your vision taken a really detailed history and symptoms it's probably a point that I would maybe like to mention is that often patients come in to see their optometrist and they don't always tell us that they're maybe experiencing symptoms of the menopause or they're being treated for menopause So I would just really encourage that whenever you do see any healthcare professional that you do share that information because it's really helpful for us. So it might be actually that we're going to advise you that you're going to have to do some hot compresses, which actually is quite a nice thing to do. I always remember one of my patients saying it was the 10 minutes piece that she used to get in a day when her kids couldn't annoy her and her husband had to make his own cups of tea. (laughs) She used to do it three times a day. I never told her to do that. (laughs) And dry eye drops. I think the important thing to mention with that is there is, if you walked into any chemist, you'd be overwhelmed by the amount of drops and you've obviously even, you know, when you're choosing what kind of drops to give to a patient, Sometimes it can be a bit of trial and error. We tend to look at more preservative-free or low-preservative drops within that because we don't want the build-up of toxicity. The reality is you're committing to a treatment plan. So the thing that I would say with dry eye is it's a chronic condition. So you're not really going to be doing this for a month and then never doing it again. The reality is you'll probably go through peaks and troughs where it might feel worse and better, but actually maintaining your management plan is what we need to be doing to prevent you getting to that place so I suffer from dry eye myself so it's something that I you know can talk really passionately with patients because it's sometimes just about being realistic about what you can do in a day I think if somebody turns around and says please put these drops in four times a day you say yeah yeah 
and you maybe put them in once if we're lucky. I think it's about meeting people where they're at, thinking about what does their day actually look like and thinking about ways we can try and help them navigate that. So if you're a computer, you know, you sit at a desk most of the day, actually having your drops beside your desk, somewhere on your desk will remind you to put them on. Beside your toothbrush is a great place to put it, you know, because you think, right, well, I brush my teeth in my head. I know that at least you'll get two drops in per day. So it's just trying to think about how do you fit these things into somebody's lifestyle rather than being unrealistic about somebody's management plan. But compliance is really the biggest way to solve dry eye and, and um, kind of get away from the, the probably quite severe symptoms that you may be experiencing. Yeah, and I think it's important, isn't it, people to know that it's a long-term treatment usually. It's not just a short term and then you stop using the drops or the treatment or the ointment or whatever and then think that it will be fixed. So often it is a continuous and actually doing that regularly is the real key for this as well, isn't it? So I think it's so easy and I'm very impatient. I know myself, you just want to feel better very quickly, but it's having that commitment to actually do. But there are different choices, aren't there? So, you know, what suits one person is not necessarily going to suit another. So how long would you give a treatment with a certain eye drop before realising it wasn't going to help? Yeah, so I usually say between a month and six weeks, somebody would start to Mm. feel improvement. It mightn't be exactly where we'd want them to be, but within three months, we should know exactly where they're at. So it is quite a commitment, you know, when you think about trying to do something for that period of time. But, you know, it's not going to happen within a week. You'll feel a nice relief when you put a dry eye eye drop in instantly. But Mm. how long that lasts starts to build over time. So that would be Mm. the advice I would give to patients because... Especially if you've got to quite an acute place, you know, actually you're really quite affected. And I think the quality of life aspect is the thing that I would really try to get over to patients is I've had patients that wouldn't drive at night time because the glare was so bad because their eyes were so dry. So I live in the north of Scotland. That means they're not driving past half three, four o'clock during the night. Mm. But it makes your life really small. So if you think yes. about actually, you're stopping to do the things that you love to do. So this is how much impact dry eye could actually mm. have on your life. Even with contact lenses, for instance, if you're a contact lens wearer and all of a sudden you can't wear them, that can become really quite quite hindering. Say, for instance, you're an avid sports person, you quite like tennis, you like playing your hockey, you know, all of these things. If you're not feeling that you're able to wear your contact lenses, you might stop doing those sports before you actually seek help about your dry eyes. Mm. So your life becomes a lot smaller. You're stopping doing the hobbies and all of these things and then lead to obviously you not feeling maybe maybe as good and, and mental health issues can then ensue. So, you know, getting in sooner rather than later would be really what I would say. And don't wait until it's really bad. I think because we flippantly say, oh, I've got a bit of dry eye, it almost belittles when you've actually got dry eye, if that makes sense, I think, because it's used as a turn of phrase. Mm, So it can really affect people in different ways. And I think it's like anything in medicine, it's trying to join the dots as well. And I'm sure that you're probably seeing more people because it's can often be quite hard to go and see your own GP. And so I, and a lot of people will go to a pharmacist first, sometimes even before thinking about going to an optometrist, because like you said at the beginning, a lot of people think optometrists are just about if you need some new prescriptions and new glasses, but, but things have moved on. And actually a lot of the first line tests that you can do are very similar to if you went to see an ophthalmologist, so a doctor who's trained in, in eyes as well. So I think you've got a really 
pivotal and very important role actually for eye health not just for those of us who are getting older like me and need glasses or if you're short-sighted whatever it's more than that it's about eye health and obviously our eyes are so important for us but it's also making sure that optometrists and ophthalmologists actually have training in the perimenopause and menopause because ideally you'd want everybody to be downloading the you know, balance app yeah. and looking to see if people have symptoms and it could be related to hormones as well because what we don't want to do is, is say to people you only concentrate on your eyes and then forget that they've got all those other symptoms as well and I've spoken and seen to quite a few women who tell me that their dry eyes just come on a few days before their periods. And so they have a few days where it's more difficult to use their contact lenses or they have the symptoms as we've described. And then their periods come and they feel fine and they say, it's not really a problem. But actually, we know that's the time when our hormone levels naturally drop is just before our periods. And so anything that's hormonal is always going to be exacerbated before periods. And so if people are getting those symptoms, that is a time obviously to get treatment for dry eyes, but also thinking about, well, could I have my hormones topped up and rebalanced even on those few days? And that can make quite a difference as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Just as you're speaking, and I think thinking about lots of the podcasts that I have listened to, it's just that awareness piece of all the different factors that lead in. You know, I'm talking obviously only about eyes, but, you know, everything really interlinks and making sure that you've got all these key people, key um, healthcare professionals to support you mm. You know, it's kind of like a team effort rather than maybe you you necessarily feeling like you're flying solo with that. Absolutely. And and it's really important, obviously, for us as menopause specialists as well. We're not blaming the menopause and hormones onto everything. Of course, they have a lot to answer for. But we still see a lot of women who are still having eye symptoms despite having their hormones optimised. And so having this joined up approach is really crucial, actually, in everything we do. You know, we said earlier about diabetes and kidney disease. Obviously, you know, you need a whole plethora of healthcare professionals. And that's the same in the menopause. And sometimes symptoms can get worse with time, they can improve with time. Doses of HRT can be different as well. So if someone's getting some eye symptoms that were under control and then they got worse then it's always worth considering well are there any other symptoms is your skin change is your hair change are you getting any flushes or sweats or is there anything else that could mean that your hormone doses need changing as well but also with any of the local treatments sometimes they just stop working for whatever reason or and sometimes switching to another product can make a really big difference as well can't it absolutely I mean you know, there's different dosages essentially of different ingredients and we need to kind of flex that up and down depending on, on where you're at. And as you say, as things change in your body, ultimately they change in your eyes and we just have to be fluid with that. So it's just about making sure that you're on the right plan, not that you're on the max dose of everything forevermore, because ultimately, you know, you get reduced relief from these things. So it's just about matching that. So it's just that you're not put on a, um, a plan and that's you forevermore. And I think sometimes that can happen. You know, you'd see a patient and they'll come in and you'll kind of give them a plan. And actually, they're fairly committed to it, but they don't come back when things change. And those are the things, again, that you kind of encourage that you're kind of committing to mm. a bit of a relationship, actually, with your optometrist to take you through that um, journey because things will mm. change. And it, it's hugely rewarding as a professional when you've got patients that you've had for a long period of time and seeing the, the vast improvement that happens over time. And just as I kind of mentioned, that quality of life piece, you can never underestimate the impact that that has 
and getting it under control really yeah and and what you're probably also saying is that people should ideally see a an optometrist regularly maybe annually or so even if they don't need glasses because you can test the pressure in the eyes any of you that had that sort of air on your eyes and that that can pick up early glaucoma you can pick up if someone's got a cataract can't you and like you say with the retinal changes as well and the the blood vessels on the retina really important actually so even people that don't need glasses could still go and get their eyes tested couldn't they absolutely we would be advising that you get your eyes tested every two years Mm. and that's you know a nice interval but lots can happen within that period of time and it just makes sure because actually it's about what's your normal baseline and actually mm. knowing that so you mentioned OCT scans so actually having that what the value and often these things is what we see is progression over time yes. so what's lovely to build a picture for a patient is what's happened now and actually when we look at it again in five years if there's subtle changes we're able to see so it's, it's building a picture of a patient that really actually the value is often with these things. But often also what happens at this time, so really from 40 onwards, we can become presbyopic, which is when we start to struggle with our reading. So yeah, nodding along. So, nodding, yes, yeah. yeah, sadly. So, um, and it's hard to accept, actually. I find with patients when we're, we're they're struggling with their reading, so we're making everything bigger, you'll find everything's much more magnified on their phone and we sit further away for things, trying to see it. But it's just, it's a natural process that's happening. The lens and the eye is starting to become less flexible and it mm. just can't flex from distance to up close. But it's something that actually can really cause quite a lot of eye strain and headaches if you, again, you're using computer, which we all do. We all use screens all the time. I think we forget our phones, our mini computers, and we spend an awful lot of time with them, unfortunately. So the reality is, we're all going to be affected and it can kind of start from your mid to late 30s you start to kind of notice and really from 40 onwards you start to really become can become quite symptomatic depending on your prescription so all of these things you do want to be seeing your optometrist so they can advise you about what visual solutions are right for you you know not just maybe picking up a pair of ready readers off the shelf and hoping for the best because it's not always going to be the best solution for you no and I think that is really important um I actually wear varifocals and make a big difference and mm. I have got a pair just in the kitchen in case I can't find my glasses and need just to read something but I know if I wore them for a length of time I would get migraines because you know they're not made for you and I think some people are fine but if you're having any concerns actually seeing a specialist is really important because the technology is better just the type of lenses being bespoke for you is really important so lots to think about Mm -hmm. and um, really interesting to talk about the role of hormones in our eyes and our eyes mean more than just something that you put glasses on when you get older really so I'm very grateful for your time today I'm really keen to ask you if that's okay Maria three take-home tips actually for those people who've been listening and think oh yes maybe I have got dry eyes and what can they do so what are the three things that you would recommend that people do if they have dry eyes yeah so I suppose first thing we've kind of spoken about it would be to get regular eye tests so that we're not maybe mm-hmm. in a situation that we've waited till it's it's really quite chronic so it gives you that space every two years to speak with your optometrist so those regular checkups would be kind of number one probably two would be not to wait until those symptoms are really quite 
So if you're questioning whether you've got dry eye, I would be advising that you seek out an optometrist to have that assessed and then, you know, potentially see what needs to happen next. And probably three, I would say, be really open with your optometrist. Even if you've maybe not been, you're not receiving treatment or you've not actually spoken to your GP yet about um, your symptoms of menopause, feel open enough to share those with the optometrist. They'll know what those things mean, but it helps them support you through this journey, as I said, um, and make sure that you get the right treatment plan for you. Perfect. Thank you ever so much. And thanks ever so much again for your time today. It's been great. Thank you so much. You can find out more about Newson Health Group by visiting www.newsonhealth.co.uk. And you can download the free Balance app on the App Store or Google Play.